So at the start of the year, we uh, spend a couple of weeks reminding ourselves of, of our purpose, how it's related to our church vision. It's a time to reorientate, to refocus ourselves. Uh, this morning, what we're looking at, in many ways, is going to be somewhat foundational for what hopefully we'll be looking at next week. Uh, so as we seek to refocus, uh, let's do that again uh, in prayer. Father, we thank you as we've considered this morning uh, already the many blessings that you give us through your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, we pray that you would open our eyes to the wonders Lord, of those blessings, to the wonders of your word this morning. Uh, may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. Amen. So in the summer of 2008, Tanya and I, we found ourselves stuck uh, in an airport in America. Rather than recounting all the specific details, I thought what I'd do is I would read you a poem. Uh, This was a poem that I wrote whilst I was stuck in the airport. It was a poem that was then sent off to the airline, sort of my official letter of complaint. This is the abridged version. There's a a few stanzas I've left out, Uh, but... Here we go. So, Rich, next slide. This is known as the 26-hour ode to U.S. Airways. Uh, its alternative title is the delayed 1526, the cancelled 822, the delayed 1770 slash the cancelled 1770, the elusive flight of 530, and the delayed 882. Here we go. Uh, they say that to write a limerick will get your attention and do the trick. So I'm writing this letter so you can make it all better and restore your trust with the public. Originally, our flights were delayed. Our connections left us dismayed. But we shouldn't have worried, neither rushed nor hurried, for you cancelled the last flight of the day. No compensation in money was offered. And ringing your hotline, I nigh should have bothered. We had to book it ourselves, that's a hotel, at 30 minutes past 12. And it came to $183. We were due then to fly the next day, but yet again there was another delay, another plane, a bust. You were losing our trust as ground-bound we would once again stay. We were due then to fly later that day, but yet again there was another delay. Our flight times were changed. We were going deranged as ground-bound we would once again stay. As we waited to hear about our flight, we overheard some news that would fright We've not booked them on the plane. Well, I guess we'll have to wait again. Oh, I hope we won't be here all night. As we finally go board our flight, oh, the tannoy, we here to our delight. The crew we can't see. Oh, where can they be? Oh, I hope we won't be here all night. So I'm asking for some compensation to cover the loss and accommodation. A day of our holiday just vanished. In the airport, we were banished. And I look forward to your further communication. A 26-hour ode to U.S. Airways. So for 26 hours, we were stuck. We were going nowhere. And every now and then, it felt like there was this glimmer of hope that we would be taken out of this predicament, only to be plunged right back into it. Our holiday was on hold. And that sense of feeling stuck is not foreign to us at this time. As we enter into this new period of lockdown, it may well feel for you that life itself is on hold. 
Now we were on a hold. We were stuck for 26 hours. We've been in this pandemic now for 10 months. And yet, as we've just read from this passage in Joshua, Caleb, his life seemed to be on hold for 45 years. A passage in Romans that we, we touched on quite a few times in lockdown number one. Romans 15 verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Do you need endurance at this time? Do you need encouragement? Do you need hope? And we're told that everything in the past was written that we might have that endurance, that encouragement, that hope. Everything that was written in the past, in the Old Testament. Now this account that we have read in Joshua 14, it is written so that we may have that endurance, that encouragement, that hope. This morning we're looking at how this story of Caleb really ends. After that 45 years of life being on hold. And my prayer for us is that as we, as we do that, as we look at where this story has been going, what it is that God has been doing. That we would have that encouragement, we would have that endurance, and we would have that hope. Even now in these times where it feels like life is on hold. So do have your Bibles open to Joshua 14, and we're starting in verse 6. Rick, if you could click on for us, that'd be great, thank you. Oh, it's feeling cold now up at the front. I can feel those legs shaking. So, the story so far. We're not going to go back all the way to the very beginning. Let's just go back to uh, Moses, the rescue from Egypt. So the story so far, God has rescued his people from the land of Egypt. And God's purpose is not simply to bring his people out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery and oppression, but to bring them into the promised land, this land of blessing. And in the book of Joshua, what we see is God fulfilling this purpose, his promise to bring his people into the promised land. Now here in verse 6 of chapter 14, we sort of zoom into this one individual, the life of Caleb. And so verse 6, uh, Caleb comes to Joshua, who is the leader of Israel at this point, And he recounts to him the history of Israel and the promises of God. That's what we read in verses 7 to 9. Now the fuller story to what's happening here can be found in Numbers 13 uh, and 14. And it's worth us revisiting what happens in that point. So I'm going to go through it. If you want to flick back to Numbers 13 and 14, you can do so. What happens in Numbers 13? Uh, at this point, Moses is still alive. They come to the edge of the promised land. This is 45 years earlier than the account that we're, we're reading here in Joshua. Uh, and Moses sends out these spies into the promised land. Twelve spies go out uh, and they come back and they bring this report of what they've seen. And they say to the people, this is truly a land of blessing, just like God has promised. It is a fruitful land. It is an abundant land. But 10 out of those 12 spies bring back what is described as a bad report. So those ten say, yes, it is good, it is beautiful, it, it is bountiful, but, but it is fortified. No, there are strong people in there. We even saw descendants of giants in that land. 
It's a good land, but there is no way we are going to be able to get into that land. We, we're like grasshoppers. We're going to be stomped. We're going to be crushed. And the people listen to this bad report. And the result is this fear, this despair. The people start crying out. In effect, what they end up saying is, God, we don't want your blessing. We were better off in Egypt. Egypt, that land of oppression, the land of slavery. God, I wish you never rescued us from the oppression that we were in. Because you've just brought us out here to kill us. And so they start making these plans. They're going to return back to Egypt, back to the land of oppression and slavery. Now at this point, Joshua and Caleb stand up and they say to the people, don't do this. The land is good. Yes, it is strongly fortified. Yes, there are giants in the land. But God is able to deliver us. God will take us in. God has the power to do that. The people listen to this and they go, okay, we're going to kill these guys. We're going to kill them and then we're going to head back to Egypt. And so God intervenes. And God decrees that no one from that generation then is going to enter into the promised land. The next generation, their children, the people who said are going to be consumed, who are going to be wiped out. He says, I'm going to take them into the promised land. But no one from that current generation is going to go into the promised land except for Joshua and Caleb. Because they trusted the Lord. They didn't turn away from him and rebel. And that is the background then to this promise here in verse 9. On that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance, this is to Caleb, and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Verse 9 tells us, Moses spoke these words. In verse 12, we see that this is the promise of God. Give me this hill country that the Lord promised me. Now everything that was written, this was written. So that the, through the endurance that's taught in the scriptures now, and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. This morning there are two things really that we're drawing from this passage. And these are reasons for us to have that endurance, how we're going to be taught that endurance, the encouragement and the hope. And so reason number one, if you could click on for us please, Rich. Reason number one for endurance, for encouragement and hope, God keeps his promises. God keeps his promises and there is an end to the wilderness experience. Just notice here then how the promise of God is repeated. We get it in verse 6. You know what the Lord said to Moses. We get it in verse 10. Just as the Lord promised. We get it in verse 12. Give me this hell country that the Lord promised. Again in verse 12. I will drive them out just as he said. In this passage here, we get this recounting of God's promise. Uh, And then we are given the realization, we see the realization of that promise in verse 14. Verse 14, so Hebron has belonged to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. We see that promise, and we see the realization of that promise. Now, in the book of Joshua, one of the key verses, a summarizing verse in Joshua, Joshua 21, verse 45. And it says, not one of all the Lord's good promises to Israel failed. Everyone was fulfilled. Not one of God's promises failed. 
Not one. Now the people failed. The people of Israel failed often. That generation that died in the wilderness failed, but not one of God's promises failed. And the faithlessness of Israel could not nullify the faithfulness of God. You see, our faith or our lack of faith doesn't affect the faithfulness of God to fulfill his promises. Well, that's the message of the gospel. Christ died for who? For us. The ungodly. The undeserving. The unfaithful. Jesus didn't come to die for us because we were faithful. It wasn't that which prompted him to come and rescue us because we were faithful. It is because he is faithful because God is faithful. And Christ died to bring you to God. Christ died in order that we might have a faithful trust in the faithful God and so participate in his promises. Christ died in order that we might have a faithful trust in the faithful God and so participate in his promises. In our passage here, three times Caleb is described as wholeheartedly following the Lord. So again, verse 8, in verse 9, and then in verse 14. Wholeheartedly followed the Lord. Caleb is presented as this model of faith, but is not the hero in the story. A model of faith, but not the hero. It's not Caleb's faith that makes the promises come to pass. It is the faithfulness of God. Now Caleb's faithful trust in God's faithfulness, it enables him to participate in the promises. But the promises come to pass because God is faithful. Now isn't that something to be encouraged by? Because that means that when we have those wobbles, when we have those doubts, those times where we seem to waver, it doesn't put God's promises in jeopardy. God's faithfulness is not tied to your or to my frailty. God's faithfulness is based on who he is. It is tied to to who he is. He doesn't change. And our greatest need is not just faith. You can have faith in any manner of things. Things things that are useless, things uh, that are not going to deliver. Our greatest need is to have one who is faithful. That's when faith counts. When your faith is in, in that, when your faith is in the one who is himself faithful. And that's what we have. That's who we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. That is when faith counts. God keeps his promise. And remember, God's promise is not simply to deliver his people from this land of of slavery and oppression, but it is to bring them into that land of blessing. That is why, as we considered earlier, in Christ, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. It is given to us in Christ. Now, we don't yet see the complete fulfillment of that. And in the Old Testament, this promised land, 
It serves as a shadow, really, of what lies ahead. It's a morsel of bread for the feast. Uh, It's really a drop of water in comparison to the the fountain. God's purpose in Christ is is not a piece of of real estate in, in the Middle East. God's purpose in Christ is new creation. A new creation where there is no death or mourning or sickness or sorrow or pain. Where there is life in all its fullness. The new creation, the reuniting of heaven and earth. Forever in the presence of the one who himself is life, who is joy, who is peace. See, we're not there yet. We haven't arrived. The wilderness wanderings, and we feel them perhaps acutely at this time. They are not the end goal. This isn't what we were ultimately created for. This is not where the story ends. It's new creation in Christ. And we groan at this time because we were made for more than this. But it's not a vain hope. See, our faith and our hope and our trust is in one who is faithful. The glories of the new creation are certain. Over the last few months, we've heard many empty promises of better days that are ahead. And no politician can can keep those promises. No human being, no matter how sincere, can guarantee that there will be better days ahead. Now, we're limited in, in our power. God is not limited in his power. And God is faithful in what he promises, what he says he will do because he is faithful and he is true and he has the power to bring it about. And he has. That Jesus Christ, who is the Lion of Judah, the roots of David, he is the one who has triumphed. That future is certain. And all our hope, all our trust, all our faith is to be in him, the one who is faithful, not one Of God's promises has failed. So reason one for endurance, for encouragement, for hope. God keeps his promises. And there is an end to this wilderness experience. Not only what we're going through at the moment in lockdown. But all of the pain and suffering of life. Not an empty promise of better days ahead. There is A better day. There is a new day that lies ahead in Christ. Reason one then. God keeps his promises. Reason two two for endurance and encouragement. Thanks, Nikki. God fulfills his purpose. And there is purpose in the wilderness. You know, the saddest thing about being stuck in Charlotte Airport for 26 hours... We lost a day of our holiday. And that was a day we were going to spend with uh, a friend from university who lived in in Boston. And we just lost that day. We couldn't get it back. The only compensation we got in the end was $70 from the airline. Not enough to cover the cost that we incurred. 
And yet here, it could be easy to read this and feel sorry for Caleb. Let's have a look at verse 10. Now just as the Lord has promised me, he's kept me alive for these 45 years since the time he said this to Moses. 45 years have passed. Okay, God has kept his promise. God has kept Caleb. But it's been 45 years. Some of the prime years of Caleb's life have been spent in the wilderness. And it's not even like Caleb sinned. It seems like such a waste. 45 years. And yet that's not how God viewed it. In Deuteronomy 8, 2-5, God says the wilderness time, it was a time of him testing, of him refining, of him disciplining his people. And sometimes we, we have negative connotations with the word discipline. We think of it in a way of, you know, you've done something wrong, so you get discipline. That, that is one way, but you know, discipline is not just because you've done something wrong. It's to make you right. It's to bring you into maturity. Caleb hadn't sinned. Yet he's in this wilderness wandering. 45 years? It seems like such a waste. And yet as we look at the end of the account here, we see that the end result is something that is glorious. So 45 years earlier, what happened? Well, a whole nation turned away in fear and rebellion on account of the people in the land, of account of the Anakites. We read about that in Numbers 13.13 13, here in Joshua 14.12 makes reference to it. You heard that the Anakites were there. A whole nation turned away in terror and rebellion. What is it now here at the end of the story? What is it that Caleb receives? What is his compensation, so to speak? Verse 15. This place Hebron that belongs to Caleb, it used to be called Kirith Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. So after 45 years, God delivers into the hand of this aged Caleb, the stronghold of the giant amongst giants. And Caleb gets to see God's victory over this stronghold that caused a whole nation to flee away in terror. And so those 45 years, were they a waste? Or were they a glorious investment? Now time is so precious to us. It's something we can't make more. And in the last few months, perhaps life has has felt like it's been a waste. Life is on hold. We've had all these hopes, we've had all these plans of things that we've wanted to do and they've been swamped by trying to navigate COVID regulations in in the workplace. Now homeschooling has taken over. All those plans of meeting with family and friends, they've just been put on hold. Now for a fortunate few, perhaps lockdown has provided a time of of rest and to be able to do things that they couldn't do before. And yet for many, life feels chaotic and time is just seeming to ebb away. 
It seems like such a waste. It's not how we would choose to invest the currency of time. And yet God will gladly invest time in a seemingly wasteful way because he is working on something far more valuable. And when you think about it, to the human eye, wasn't it a waste of time that Sarah spent her childbearing years barren? To the human eye, wasn't it a complete waste that Joseph spent the prime of his youth locked up in prison? To the human eye, isn't it a waste that Caleb spent 45 years in the wilderness? To the human eye, wasn't it a waste that Jesus didn't turn up before Lazarus died? And yet in all these things, God is working on something better. The revelation of his glory among his people. We... We live in this culture of, of productivity and achievement. Now, a message that, that comes to us from the culture is, what are you doing? What are you achieving? It's really where validation seems to be given. Just think about it. The question that happens, you speak to someone, hi, what's your name? What do you do? It's just part of the culture. It's one of the reasons why sometimes retirement can be difficult, why unemployment can be difficult, speaking from experience. Because where's that validation that the culture's been giving you? Who are you? What, what are you worth if you're not doing, if you're not producing something? And time is this currency that we cannot make more of. And so we, we feel with this pressure, we've got to squeeze productivity out of every last second. And so it frustrates us when it seems that God is spending this time currency in a way that seems wasteful. And he will do that. He will spend it in a way that often seems wasteful to the world that makes no sense. Because whilst the world is asking, what are you doing? What are you achieving? God is more interested in who are you becoming? It's the only thing... That counts. The only thing that lasts is who we are in Christ. I have to remind myself of that truth. I have to preach that to myself. It's easy for me to get caught up with this. Now what am I achieving? And during this period of the pandemic, I feel like I'm achieving even less than I normally would. The one thing that is going to last, the thing that really counts is who we are in Christ. At the end of the day, in the new creation, I'm not taking my best sermon in there. Who is going to listen to me? Come on guys, gather around. I've been working my whole life on this one. You're really going to enjoy this. It's like a teacher taking kids to a sweet shop and saying, gather around, I've written a little poem about a sweet. You're not going to listen. The thing that, that counts, where we're heading to is, is new creation, sharing in the glory of Christ. And life may feel like it's on hold at this point in time, that perhaps we're not achieving as much as we hope to. But time is not being wasted. God knows what he is doing. 
As the world asks, what are you achieving? God is more interested in who are you becoming. And something for us to remind ourselves is that when our goal then is Jesus Christ, when our goal is to know him and to be conformed into his image, it means whatever situation we find ourselves in, our time is not wasted. It is always invested. Because that is the purpose that God is committed to. Romans 8. He works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. What's his purpose? To be conformed to the image of Christ. And those times, our time is never wasted. It is always invested. And time is not the enemy that many of us feel it is. That I feel it is. Time, is. time is not this angry God that needs to be pacified through the various sacrifices that we offer to it. Those sacrifices of time with our family. We, we sacrifice time with our church family. We sacrifice time with God in the hope of, of gaining more time. Of pacifying this, this deity of time. Time is not an angry God. Time is not a God at all. Time is, is a servant of the one true God. We don't need to have time on our side. And I am preaching this to myself today. I, I trust it. It's a ministry for your hearts. But this is something I need to, to say to myself constantly. We do not need to have time on our side. We need to commit ourselves to God. And allow him to invest those days for his purpose. As we see here what it is that God was doing. His purpose of those 45 years. Yet what lies ahead it is more glorious. And the wilderness it may be God's process. It's not his ultimate purpose. His ultimate purpose is for us to share in the glories of Christ, in our life of the new creation. That which this passage in Joshua here is just a shadow, it just points us to. That doesn't mean the wilderness isn't hard. The wilderness is hard, it's difficult. But it isn't wasteful. It's not wasteful at this time as we have entered into a new lockdown. It may feel like life is on hold, but it isn't. God is faithful. His promises cannot be broken. His purposes cannot be thwarted. And so in the light of that, then let us consider how we can spur one another along. Okay, we, we cannot keep meeting together in a way that we normally would, but we can still keep in contact with one another through the various means that God has given us. Now how can we, how can you encourage one another with this truth? When it feels like this time is a waste, when it feels like life is on hold, how can we encourage one another? With this truth that God keeps his promises, that God fulfills his purposes, that we would fix our eyes on on Jesus, who is the founder, who is the fulfiller, the perfecter 
of our faith. The one who is our defender, the one who is our great reward. Let us encourage one another. We need that encouragement. We need that endurance. It's revealed to us in the scriptures. And it comes because we have a great saviour in the Lord Jesus Christ. So let's give thanks and pray now. Two Corinthians 4 says, These light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Father, we face troubles. We face trouble uh, at this time. Lord, our own troubles are, are real. We feel them all in different ways. And yet, Lord, your word describes them as light and momentary. Not because they're insignificant, but because of in the light of what lies ahead. Lord, we, we praise you and we thank you that no matter how difficult uh, things feel at this point in time, it's not even worth comparing to what it is that you are doing uh, and that you are the God who is faithful Lord, you keep your promises. You fulfill your purposes. And so give us those eyes to see that the time that we're in now, it is not a waste. The time that we're in now, it will not go on forever, but that we would, we would look ahead, that we would fix our eyes on our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Though the one who is the author, the perfecter of our faith. Now that we would look with joy to what it is that you are doing. Or that we would entrust ourselves to you uh, in hope of what it is that you are working in us as your people. Lord, please conform us more and more to the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. Or for the purpose that you have ordained. Or that which we do not deserve but in accordance with your mercy and your faithfulness that we may have that privilege of sharing in Lord, his glory and all that life of the new creation. Lord, indeed, to you be the glory. Great things you have done. Amen.